Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 John. It's obvious to me that you all are not used to me preaching on a Sunday night. In fact, it's been a while. Uh, camp the last two weeks, two weeks before that, we were away, and then the week before that, I believe Trey spoke in the evening. And uh, so it's been a while, and so I believe there, it seems anyways to me that there are some under the delusion that I can preach 20 minutes. I'm going to cure you of that delusion tonight. <laughs> I'd tell you I'd do my best, but you all would know that was a lie. So <laughs> I will do my best not to keep you overly long. Appreciate the good testimonies. Speak to my heart. Amen. First John chapter 4. I mean for the reading of God's word. John's so different than James. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but whether they are of God, are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. Sobering thought. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. They are of the world. Therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Two spirits, spirit of truth, spirit of error. Father, we ask that you'd help us. Tonight, as we try to rightly divide the word of truth, may you be glorified and honored tonight. Hide us behind the shadow of thy cross. Be glorified and lifted up, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's a story. I don't know that it's true. But there's a story from the Korean War and the front lines. There was a soldier who was standing sentry. And as they were, he was in the middle of the night in the darkness, he heard someone coming. And he shouts, Halt! Friend or foe? And the person says, Friend! And the sentry says, then can you please recite for me the second verse of the Star-Spangled Banner? 
Anybody can that can do that tonight? The other the voice in the darkness responds. I don't know it. He says, Come on in, friend. <laughs> I don't know it either. He knew that he was a friend because if he wasn't a friend, he probably would have tried to bluff his way through. Or perhaps the enemy would know it, would have been prepared for such a question. But most of us as Americans, we're, we're very fortunate if we know the first verse and all the rest of them we don't even know. In fact, it's kind of embarrassing how little that we really do know of of the Star-Spangled Banner as our national anthem. But that soldier was trying to try that individual. That, that voice in the darkness. No light to be able to determine whether he was of good intent or of ill intent. And you know, I, oftentimes in this world, we don't know whether the individuals that are trying to influence us, whether they have good intentions or bad intentions. Good intentions or bad intentions. You know, there's an old sales trick. Brother Gary's never used it. I know he never has. It's called bait and switch. You know, they do this, it seems like every Black Friday, and people keep falling for it all the time. On sale! And they've got this great product. Big name thing. Marked way down. 75% off. And the crowds come. And guess what? Time you get your way to the where that product is, they're out of them. But they've got some other junk over here that they'll happily sell you at a markup. Bait and switch. Bait and switch. It's gotten so bad now that, and people have gotten so frustrated with it, that now on the flyers for Black Friday, they now will say, each store has a minimum of this many there because people got tired of there being just one or two or, or just a handful. But there's now, they print at least the minimum so they know that if you're going to fight someone to the death over a computer or whatever the latest toy fad is, that you know exactly how many are there. Do you know there's a lot of people that are, that'll tell you that they come from God and it's a bait and switch. It's really what it is. It's a bait and switch. And do you know we live in a time when really... The church, I believe, is the most vulnerable it has been since probably John's day. This is perhaps the most vulnerable the church has been to the spirit of error. And this is why the church has never been more powerless in your life. There was a time when the church had full control of the music that you listened to. 
And now the churches have largely abandoned the responsibility to make sure that the music that, that you listen to and that I listen to has good theology in it. We've abandoned that. In fact, many churches, and I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but they've, they've gone to now, they cast the music that they sing on the wall. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Technology's not bad, but here's the problem. Without a hymn book, there is no list of songs that the church says we approve of. I think that's a powerful thing. To have this hymn book, wherever, it, of course there isn't one here and I want one. This hymn book, because we have it in our church, we've said these songs meet our theology. These songs are approved of by the church for your spiritual benefit. Wow. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Because we've sanctioned it. Now, I don't know the process that you went through to get this hymn book. When you went through leaving the old hymn book, there may have even been some tears of leaving the old hymn book. I know some people that, man, they, if you don't have the praise and worship, you're going to hell. <laughs> they, they put it right up there with the KJV. In fact, I heard one preacher, I was there, he, had, he put the KGV under one arm and the uh, praise and worship under the other, and he said, by these two books, I'm getting to heaven. <laughs> And even though I laugh a little bit at that, there's some truth to what he's saying. There's some truth to what he's saying. That church-sanctioned hymn books protect us from false doctrine that creeps into our music. But now what do we have? We've got radios and YouTube and Spotify and Pandora. And, and I know some of these words don't mean anything to you older folks, but... I know I'm speaking foreign language to some of the older ones, but the younger ones know what I'm talking about. But you can listen to anything that calls itself Christian, and its theology will begin to worm its way into your mind and into your heart, and pretty soon we get to the place we don't even know where we stand theologically on a lot of issues, because the music we listen to isn't of truth, it's of error. I'm going to walk on a minefield, Brother Wes. You might have to take me to Africa with you. Here it goes. I know that many, many here enjoy Southern Gospel. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I enjoy some Southern Gospel, okay? But here's the danger. Most Southern Gospel artists are Southern Baptist. Do you know the theology that they're writing their hymns from and their songs from that, that we're consuming? is a once saved, always saved theology. And when we listen to some of those songs, and do you know what scares me? Our Bible school groups get up there and they start crooning, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. That's not our theology, folks. 
We're not just sinners saved by grace. We are saved so that we are no longer sinners. I was a sinner, but I'm not a sinner now. Oh, I think you're getting, you know, just a little picky on your words, preacher. It's creeping into our hearts, folks. It's creeping into our hearts and our Bible school groups. That scares me. You know, I walked up to one of our Bible school uh, reps in, at youth camp this year. And you know how honorary I am. Or at least you have an idea. I walked up to him and I said, uh, Can you tell me how many songs in your repertoire? Of course, they sing a lot of Southern Gospel stuff. Can you tell me how many songs in your repertoire talk about being sanctified, being holy? He stuttered and stammered around a little bit. And he goes, I don't think we have any. And of course his excuse is that there's, people aren't writing them. Maybe we're not writing them because we're listening to the Southern Baptist music. Wow, I'm not winning any friends or getting amens. I, I hope you got an extra ticket, brother. <laughs> Talking about the spirit of error tonight, got folks. How about the spirit of error? Am I saying don't listen to Southern Gospel? I'm not saying that. I'm saying you better be careful what you listen to. I have, a, I have a group I really like. Southern Gospel group. I really enjoy them. They're probably my favorite Southern Gospel group. I really enjoy them, and most of the time, their theology is really, really good. And they have this beautiful song, and the first time I heard it, I was like, Oh, this song is perfectly, it's, it's my testimony. If I could sing, I'd get up in front of church and I'd sing it every single Sunday until they threw tomatoes at me. It just matched every, except for it had a clear Calvinistic phrase, one line in the whole song, and it ruined it for me. It was like, come on. The song, is, the song was so close to my testimony. I could have written that song except for that one line. Parents, grandparents, maybe you can listen to that. But what does it tell our kids? Because, you know, what? we get our theology a lot from our music. I'll tell you what happened this, just before I left, I don't think, it, I don't think I've shared it with you. One of our holiness denominations put out an article, and it was not. It was said by and, and the author. I'm not going to say who it was, is. You'd probably know him. Representative of this denomination's board. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? He then proceeds to give. False doctrine through the whole thing. I was disgusted. Absolutely disgusted. It was Calvinism through and through, hidden in a Wesleyan Arminian uh, shell. I called the conference leader of that group, and I let him have it. 
saved and sanctified. But I, I went down through that. I said, this isn't of our theology. This isn't of our theology. This isn't of our theology. I had strong issues with it. But, 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 and he, and, and this conference leader who put their seal of approval on it, they put, said, this is what we, how we stand, said, but that's not what we mean. I said, this is what it says. You're swallowing Calvinist theology hook, line, and sinker. And do you know what this author's defense was? They quoted a Fanny Crosby song as their, as their defense of their bad theology. I think, one, they misunderstood what Fanny Crosby was saying, but two, Fanny Crosby is not God's word. I'm trying to illustrate that this person built an entire false doctrine on a, what I believe is a misconstruement of Fanny Crosby and not God's word. Talk about the danger. There's real danger here, folks. And it's in our groups. In fact, I think we're, a, we're one of the most vulnerable because Wesleyan Arminians are not on the radio. We're not in the we're producing music, and we're not, and our, our preachers aren't on the radio. Do you know why that is? Because we fuss and feud so much with each other over the smallest little things that we couldn't get behind one person to support them financially enough so that they could be on the radio. Ooh. That wasn't in my notes. I better be careful tonight. Man, I haven't been, I have preached on a Sunday night in six weeks and here I'm just loading for bear. <laughs> Folks, this is a real issue. This is not, John's talking to us about knowing and discerning between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And folks, this is relevant to today. 2018, we are dealing with this in our movement. And we're hooked. We are following after a false doctrine and a false theology because we can't get together and even support people who speak the truth because they wear green ties. They wear ties at all. They use the internet or they don't use the internet. They don't shave their beards. They do shave their beard. I mean, we've got so many things we can't support people over. I mean, you've got to pass a, question, a questionnaire just to be able to go to a camp meeting. We're getting silly, folks. We're just getting silly about some things. And we're losing not only our theology over it, but we're losing our kids over it. Well, that was all introduction at 7 o'clock. <laughs> I told you I wasn't going to preach 20 minutes. What's John say? We haven't even gotten into the Word. Let's get into the Word. What does John say? John says, before you even listen to a guy, before you even determine whether that person has a false spirit in them or a true spirit in them, the first thing you need to ask is, what do they think of Christ? Think of Christ. That's an important question. 
If you think that Jesus was a good teacher, you think that he was he's a, a, that he's a, a on par with Buddha or Muhammad or someone else, folks, you're wrong. Don't listen to the rest of it. There was an editor who had the I don't know if it's a blessing or curse, but his job was that he would have to read people's manuscripts and choose whether to print them or reject them. And they do a whole lot more rejecting than they do of accepting. I know this because I've gotten several rejection letters as we worked on our, on our article. It's a difficult thing to get a rejection letter. And one of the ladies that got this rejection letter, and she was mad, she fired off a letter back. She said, I know you're a fraud. I pasted page 19 and page 20 together, and it came back to me, and it was still pasted together. You didn't even read my manuscript. And this editor responded, and he wrote these words. He said, when I sit down for breakfast and I open the egg, I don't have to finish it to know what's bad. <laughs> Some of you took you a little while, but you got it. How much of the bowl of cereal does it take for you to down before you realize the milk spoiled? Doesn't usually take very much, does it? Or when your wife tries a new recipe and you know within one bite, maybe two, this is a not-make-again recipe. <laughs> this is a nice try. Let's stick to the tried and true. Doesn't take too many, too many bites to know it's bad. We know. We know. And what John's trying to help us to understand is, if folks, we start with Christ. And I want to know, what do you think of Christ? If you think he's a, a, just a good person, you, you think that he's a good teacher, you think that he's, that he's uh, you know, a historical figure, but, but he's not God, you're out. You're out. I don't need to hear anything else you've got to say about Jesus. I don't need anything more. You may have a great theology. You may have some great insights. You may have some really wonderful things that, that, that might be worth listening to. But John says, as soon as you find out that they don't think Jesus is God, out. Don't listen to any more. You know what? One of our problems is, is we stick around and keep chewing bad theology. We do. We, we, we chew bad theology. I remember some time ago I came across a, a, new, uh, a new way of understanding the scriptures. This, and I, and I, was, I was studying it a little bit and I thought, wow, this is really interesting. I was, really, I was kind of intrigued by it. So I, I, was, I was studying it a little bit and, and I thought, man, they, they make much of Christ. I really like this. I'm really enjoying this. I think this is good. And I got into it a little more, and then all of a sudden I realized, oh boy, 
it's, it looks pretty on the outside. It looks real spiritual. But when you get down just under the, the wrapping, it's got some flaws. You know what? I quit studying about it. I quit reading about it. I rejected it because I knew that the entire premise was false. A pretty wrapping doesn't make it any better when it's rotten in the core. Oh, that God would give us a sense of immediate rejection of that which is tainted. You don't, you don't gulp down half the carton of spoiled milk. When it touches the tongue, there's an immediate rejection. Oh, that God would give us that same immediate rejection of false theology, false doctrine, and false teachings, even if they come from people who claim to be saved and sanctified and claim to be one of us. Oh, that God would give us that same spirit of rejection. Does he... Do they think that Jesus is God? And then the other one, John wants us to be careful that, that they don't discount that, he, that Jesus came in the flesh. Now we spoke about Gnosticism. John's very concerned about Gnosticism. That Jesus was a phantom or a mirage or, or that Jesus was not fleshy because flesh is sin. And I don't want to re-preach that message, but you, know, we don't, you don't hear too often people say Jesus didn't come in the flesh. Do you know why we don't hear that in America very much? Because we don't hate the flesh. We love the flesh. I mean, at the Sunday school get-together yesterday, we were enjoying the flesh. And come Sunday next week, we're going to enjoy the flesh. I'm looking forward to it. My mouth's already watering as I think about next Sunday afternoon. I'm sad that Petersons are leaving, but I'm glad for an excuse to get together and eat Our Lady's cooking. Some of you probably say, you don't need an excuse, preacher. You, every time we get a chance, you do. Might as well make good use of our fellowship, Paul, and not waste it. But we don't have a problem satisfying the flesh. But there's been times throughout history where we've punished the flesh, where we've, where we've made a big deal about being uh, constantly fasting and constantly uh, people would beat themselves and do all these kind of physical penances and, and a big thing about celibacy and, and just on and on and on and on about denying the flesh. And we just don't have that in America these days. We could use a little bit of a revival of denying ourselves taking up our cross and following him. We could use probably a, a revival of some of that. Again, too far is, is wrong. But there is a danger of going too far. When we can't have fun and we can't laugh. And you know, Have you ever met somebody who believes laughter is of the devil? I wish sometimes that, they, that one of our 
beloved gospel writers would have just wrote, Jesus laughed. Because I think he did. I can tell you this. He didn't go around with a frown and a fussy face all the time. And I know this from Scripture. The little children went up, wanted to be on his lap. And children don't like sour-faced people. I've never met a child that would run up to a sour-faced person and just be thrilled to see them. You know, I figure, as I'm getting middle-aged, and I hate to say that, but as I'm creeping towards that middle-aged mark, I figure I'm going to have wrinkles. I think, I, I think that's just destined to happen. I'm predestined to wrinkles. Not predestined to heaven or hell, but I'm predestined to have wrinkles, probably. I figure if I'm going to have wrinkles, I'd rather have smile wrinkles than frown wrinkles. Have wrinkles. I'd rather have smile wrinkles than frown wrinkles. Because you know what? When you, some of the people, I mean, they can't help it. You look at them and you're like, why are you frowning? I'm not frowning. Your face just sags that way because that's what you've always done. <laughs> oh, that God would help us to be happy Christians. Not frivolous Christians. Not Christians that don't know how to be serious when it's time to be serious. But, oh, that God would make us happy Christians. What are we talking about? We're talking about the spirit of error and the spirit of truth. And that God would help us to be like Jesus, who is both God and human. And it's one of the marvels, one of the great marvels is that God has allowed us to, that are just mere humans to participate in his nature, in his divine nature. And it's actually one of the reasons that we can overcome the world is because we have participated in the rebirth, in the new birth, and have taken on both the human nature, not the carnal nature, but the human nature and the divine nature. Having both, being like Jesus, we can overcome the world. I could go a long time on this, and I, I, don't, I don't want to do that. But you know, there's, there's a mentality that in order to respond to the spirit of error, that we ought to bunker down, close ourselves off to the world. You know, they've got subs now that can go down in the Marianas Trench. They're reinforced, steel, and I don't know what all they have to do, but it's a pretty big undertaking to be able to go that deep into the ocean, two miles under the water, all that pressure, crush a submarine that, that would go, can't go that low. And you know they found, they've been able to take pictures of fish down there. And this would be my expectation, if, is that our first trip down there, that we would find some fish, and we would take their scales, and we'd find that they're made of something super hard, like diamond hard. 
Wouldn't that be your expectation, Jimmy? You, you would think that they would have scales that would be, make them little miniature tanks. That they could withstand that kind of pressure because our submarines, for a long time, we could never go that low. They'd be crushed under the pressure. But do you know their scales of the fish that are down in the Marianas Trench, that their scales are no thicker than other fish? How is that possible? The secret is this, that the pressure on the inside is equal to the pressure on the outside. And so those fish have been designed by God to have an equal pressure inside that pushes out at the same pressure as the water presses down on them. It's an incredible, incredible design of God. And here is, the, I believe, the lesson and what, what John is trying to tell to us. He says, you have overcome the world. Why? Because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. It's not a bunker down. It's not like hold the fort till Jesus comes. But let's be so full of God inside of us that we can withstand the false teachings of this world. Let's be to have so much of God that we don't have to bunker down, but that we can tread upon the lion and the adder. John G. Patton was a missionary to the South Pacific Islands, full of witch doctors and sorcery. And I know a lot of us would like to pretend that stuff isn't real, but it is very real. And there is satanic power, and those witch doctors have power. And Patton was there, one of the islands, and their witch doctors had made a decision that they were going to be done with Patton. And so they decided that they were going to kill him through mystical arts. And this, they said that they needed food that Patton hadn't finished eating to be able to perform their ritual. Patton heard about it. He took three plums and took a bite out of each of the plums and handed it over to him and said, go ahead and do your best. I love that. I love people like that. Go ahead, do your best. And he went home and went to bed. So they go, those witch doctors, they do whatever they were going to do. And the next morning, Sunday morning, out comes John Patton skipping down the middle of the road. And do you know those people, they were amazed because they'd seen that witch doctor power work before. They knew it was real. And they went to the witch doctors and they said, tell us why you weren't able to kill them. Why is it that you weren't able to, do, to take care of him? You, that you always are successful. And this was what the witch doctor said. He said, he is a holy man like us. But his God is more powerful than our God. God. And many in that village were converted to Christ 
because of the power of God who was in Patton was greater than the power that was in the world. And folks, I know that we're facing uncertain times, and I know we're living in a, in a culture and a world that's upside down, and it seems to be rejecting truth, and it seems like the spirit of error and false doctrine is winning the day. But we need to be reminded that our God is greater. And the spirit of truth is not equal in power to the, to the spirit of error, but so much greater. So much greater than the spirit of error. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We don't need to bunker down. We need to fill up. We need to fill up. Let's stand together.